Section six of Confessions, volumes three and four. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Geeson. Confessions, volumes three and four, by Jean Jacques Rousseau. Section six. This life was too delightful to be lasting i felt this and the uneasiness that thought gave me was the only thing that disturbed my enjoyment even in playfulness she studied my disposition observed and interrogated me forming projects for my future fortune which i could readily have dispensed with happily it was not sufficient to know my disposition inclinations and talents it was likewise necessary to find a situation in which they would be useful and this was not the work of a day even the prejudices this good woman had conceived in favour of my merit put off the time of calling it into action by rendering her more difficult in the choice of means thus thanks to the good opinion she entertained of me everything answered to my wish but a change soon happened which put a period to my tranquillity a relation of madame de varens named monsieur d'aubonne came to see her a man of great understanding and intrigue being like her fond of projects though careful not to ruin himself by them he had offered cardinal fleury a very compact plan for a lottery which however had not been approved of and he was now going to propose it to the court of turin where it was accepted and put into execution he remained some time at annecy where he fell in love with the intendant's lady who was very amiable much to my taste and the only person i saw with pleasure at the house of madame de varens monsieur d'aubonne saw me i was strongly recommended by his relation he promised therefore to question and see what i was fit for and if he found me capable to seek me a situation madame de varens sent me to him two or three mornings under pretence of messages without acquainting me with her real intention he spoke to me gaily on various subjects without any appearance of observation his familiarity presently set me talking which by his cheerful and jesting manner he encouraged without restraint i was absolutely charmed with him the result of his observations was that notwithstanding the animation of my countenance and promising exterior if not absolutely silly i was a lad of very little sense and without ideas of learning in fine very ignorant in all respects 
and if i could arrive at being curate of some village it was the utmost honour i ought ever to aspire to such was the account he gave of me to madame de varens this was not the first time such an opinion had been formed of me neither was it the last the judgment of monsieur masseron having been repeatedly confirmed the cause of these opinions is too much connected with my character not to need a particular explanation for it will not be supposed that i can in conscience subscribe to them and with all possible impartiality whatever m masseron m d'aubonne and many others may have said i cannot help thinking them mistaken two things very opposite unite in me and in a manner which i cannot myself conceive my disposition is extremely ardent my passions lively and impetuous yet my ideas are produced slowly with great embarrassment and after much afterthought it might be said my heart and understanding do not belong to the same individual a sentiment takes possession of my soul with the rapidity of lightning but instead of illuminating it dazzles and confounds me i feel all but see nothing i am warm but stupid to think i must be cool what is astonishing my conception is clear and penetrating if not hurried i can make excellent impromptus at leisure but on the instant could never say or do anything worth notice i could hold a tolerable conversation by the post as they say the spaniards play at chess and when i read that anecdote of a duke of savoy who turned himself round while on a journey to cry out a votre gorge marchand de paris i said here is a tray of my character this slowness of thought joined to vivacity of feeling i am not only sensible of in conversation but even alone when i write my ideas are arranged with the utmost difficulty they glance on my imagination and ferment till they discompose heat and bring on a palpitation during this state of agitation i see nothing properly cannot write a single word and must wait till it is over insensibly the agitation subsides the chaos acquires form and each circumstance takes its proper place have you never seen an opera in italy where during the change of scene everything is in confusion the decorations are intermingled and any one would suppose that all would be overthrown yet by little and little 
everything is arranged nothing appears wanting and we feel surprised to see the tumult succeeded by the most delightful spectacle this is a resemblance of what passes in my brain when i attempt to write had i always waited till that confusion was past and then painted in their natural beauties the objects that had presented themselves few authors would have surpassed me thence arises the extreme difficulty i find in writing my manuscripts blotted scratched and scarcely legible attest the trouble they cost me nor is there one of them that i have been obliged to transcribe four or five times before it went to press never could i do anything when placed at a table pen in hand it must be walking among the rocks or in the woods it is at night in my bed during my wakeful hours that i compose it may be judged how slowly particularly for a man who has not the advantage of verbal memory and never in his life could retain by heart six verses some of my periods i have turned and returned in my head five or six nights before they were fit to be put to paper thus it is that i succeed better in works that require laborious attention than those that appear more trivial such as letters in which i could never succeed and being obliged to write one is to me a serious punishment nor can i express my thoughts on the most trivial subjects without it costing me hours of fatigue if i write immediately what strikes me my letter is a long confused unconnected string of expressions which when read can hardly be understood it is not only painful to me to give language to my ideas but even to receive them i have studied mankind and think myself a tolerable observer yet i know nothing from what i see but all from what i remember nor have i understanding except in my recollections from all that is said from all that passes in my presence i feel nothing conceive nothing the exterior sign being all that strikes me afterwards it returns to my remembrance i recollect the place the time the manner the look and gesture not a circumstance escapes me it is then from what has been done or said that i imagine what has been thought and i have rarely found myself mistaken so little master of my understanding when alone let any one judge what i must be in conversation where to speak with any degree of ease you must think of a thousand things at the same time 
the bare idea that i should forget something material would be sufficient to intimidate me nor can i comprehend how people can have the confidence to converse in large companies where each word must pass in review before so many and where it would be requisite to know their several characters and histories to avoid saying what might give offence in this particular those who frequent the world would have a great advantage as they know better where to be silent and can speak with greater confidence yet even they sometimes let fall absurdities in what predicament then must he be who drops as it were from the clouds it is almost impossible he should speak ten minutes with impunity in a tete-a-tete there is a still worse inconvenience that is the necessity of talking perpetually at least the necessity of answering when spoken to and keeping up the conversation when the other is silent this insupportable constraint is alone sufficient to disgust me with variety for i cannot form an idea of a greater torment than being obliged to speak continually without time for recollection i know not whether it proceeds from my mortal hatred of all constraint but if i am obliged to speak i infallibly talk nonsense what is still worse instead of learning how to be silent when i have absolutely nothing to say it is generally at such times that i have a violent inclination and endeavouring to pay my debt of conversation as speedily as possible i hastily gabble a number of words without ideas happy when they only chance to mean nothing thus endeavouring to conquer or hide my incapacity i rarely fail to show it i think i have said enough to show that though not a fool i have frequently passed for one even among people capable of judging this was the more vexatious as my physiognomy and eyes promised otherwise and expectation being frustrated my stupidity appeared the more shocking this detail which a particular occasion gave birth to will not be useless in the sequel being a key to many of my actions which might otherwise appear unaccountable and have been attributed to a savage humour i do not possess i love society as much as any man was i not certain to exhibit myself in it not only disadvantageously but totally different from what i really am the plan i have adopted of writing and retirement is what exactly suits me had i been present my worth would never have been known no one would even have suspected it 
thus it was with madame dupin a woman of sense in whose house i lived for several years indeed she has often since owned it to me though on the whole this rule may be subject to some exceptions i shall now return to my history the estimate of my talents thus fixed the situation i was capable of promised the question only remained how to render her capable of fulfilling my destined vocation the principal difficulty was i did not know latin enough for a priest madame de varence determined to have me taught for some time at the seminary and accordingly spoke of it to the superior who was a lazarist called monsieur gras a good-natured little fellow half blind meagre grey-haired insensible and the least pedantic of any lazarist i ever knew which in fact is saying no great matter he frequently visited madame de varence letting him sometimes lace her stays an office he was willing enough to perform while thus employed she would run about the room this way or that as occasion happened to call her drawn by the lace monsieur the superior followed grumbling repeating at every moment pray madame do stand still the whole forming a scene truly diverting monsieur gras willingly assented to the project of madame de varence and for a very moderate pension charged himself with the care of instructing me the consent of the bishop was all that remained necessary who not only granted it but offered to pay the pension permitting me to retain the secular habit till they could judge by a trial what success they might have in my improvement end of section 6 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section 7 of confessions volumes 3 and 4 this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes 3 and 4 by jean jacques rousseau anonymously translated section 7 what a change but i was obliged to submit though i went to the seminary with about the same spirits as if they had been taking me to execution what a melancholy abode especially for one who left the house of a pretty woman i carried one book with me that i had borrowed of madame de varence and found it a capital resource it will not be easily conjectured what kind of book this was it was a music-book 
among the talents she had cultivated music was not forgotten she had a tolerable good voice sang agreeably and played upon the harpsichord she had taken the pains to give me some lessons in singing though before i was very uninformed in that respect hardly knowing the music of our psalms eight or ten interrupted lessons far from putting me in a condition to improve myself did not teach me half the notes notwithstanding i had such a passion for the art that i determined to exercise myself alone the book i took was not of the most easy kind it was the cantatas of clerambault it may be conceived with what attention and perseverance i studied when i inform my reader that without knowing anything of transposition or quantity i contrived to sing with tolerable correctness the first recitative and air in the cantata of alpheus and arethusa it is true this air is so justly set that it is only necessary to recite the verses in their just measure to catch the music there was at the seminary a cursed lazarist who by undertaking to teach me latin made me detest it his hair was coarse black and greasy his face like those formed in gingerbread he had the voice of a buffalo the countenance of an owl and the bristles of a boar in lieu of beard his smile was sardonic and his limbs played like those of a puppet moved by wires i have forgotten his odious name but the remembrance of his frightful precise countenance remains with me though hardly can i recollect it without trembling especially when i call to mind our meeting in the gallery when he graciously advanced his filthy square cap as a sign for me to enter his apartment which appeared more dismal in my apprehension than a dungeon let any one judge the contrast between my present master and the elegant abbe de gauvon had i remained two months at the mercy of this monster i am certain my head could not have sustained it but the good monsieur gras perceiving that i was melancholy grew thin and did not eat my victuals guessed the cause of my uneasiness which indeed was not very difficult and taking me from the claws of this beast by another yet more striking contrast placed me with the gentlest of men a young foussignorant abbe named monsieur gatier who studied at the seminary and out of complaisance for monsieur gras and humanity to myself spared some time from the prosecution of his own studies in order to direct mine 
never did i see a more pleasing countenance than that of m gatier he was fair complexioned his beard rather inclined to red his behaviour like that of the generality of his countrymen who under a coarseness of countenance conceal much understanding marked in him a truly sensible and affectionate soul in his large blue eyes there was a mixture of softness tenderness and melancholy which made it impossible to see him without feeling oneself interested from the looks and manner of this young abbe he might have been supposed to have foreseen his destiny and that he was born to be unhappy his disposition did not belie his physiognomy full of patience and complaisance he rather appeared to study with than instruct me so much was not necessary to make me love him his predecessor having rendered that very easy yet notwithstanding all the time he bestowed on me notwithstanding our mutual good inclinations and that his plan of teaching was excellent with much labour i made little progress it is very singular that with a clear conception i could never learn much from masters except my father and monsieur lambercier the little i know besides i have learned alone as will be seen hereafter my spirit impatient of every species of constraint cannot submit to the law of the moment even the fear of not learning prevents my being attentive and a dread of wearying those who teach makes me fain to understand them thus they proceed faster than i can comprehend and the conclusion is i learn nothing my understanding must take its own time and cannot submit to that of another the time of ordination being arrived m gatier returned to his province as deacon leaving me with gratitude attachment and sorrow for his loss the vows i made for him were no more answered than those i offered for myself some years after i learned that being vicar of a parish a young girl was with child by him being the only one though he possessed a very tender heart with whom he was ever in love this was a dreadful scandal in a diocese severely governed where the priests being under good regulation ought never to have children except by married women having infringed this politic law he was put in prison defamed and driven from his benefice i know not whether it was ever after in his power to re-establish his affairs but the remembrance of his misfortunes which were deeply engraven on my heart struck me when i wrote emile 
and uniting m gatier with m gem i formed from these two worthy priests the character of the savoyard vicar and flatter myself the imitation has not dishonoured the originals while i was at the seminary m d'aubonne was obliged to quit annecy moutou being displeased that he made love to his wife which was acting like a dog in the manger for though madame moutou was extremely amiable he lived very ill with her treating her with such brutality that a separation was talked of moutou by repeated oppressions at length procured a dismissal from his employment he was a disagreeable man a mole could not be blacker nor an owl more knavish it is said the provincials revenge themselves on their enemies by songs m d'aubonne revenged himself on his by a comedy which he sent to madame de varens who showed it to me i was pleased with it and immediately conceived the idea of writing one to try whether i was so silly as the author had pronounced me the project was not executed till i went to chambery where i wrote the lover of himself thus when i said in the preface to that piece it was written at eighteen i cut off a few years nearly about this time an event happened not very important in itself but whose consequence affected me and made a noise in the world when i had forgotten it once a week i was permitted to go out it is not necessary to say what use i made of this liberty being one sunday at madame de varens a building belonging to the cordelier which joined her house took fire this building which contained their oven being full of dry faggots blazed violently and greatly endangered the house for the wind happening to drive the flames that way it was covered with them the furniture therefore was hastily got out and carried into the garden which fronted the windows on the other side of the before-mentioned brook i was so alarmed that i threw indiscriminately everything that came to hand out of the window even to a large stone mortar which at another time i should have found it difficult to remove and should have thrown a handsome looking-glass after it had not some one prevented me the good bishop who that day was visiting madame de varens did not remain idle he took her into the garden where they went to prayers with the rest that were assembled there and where some time afterwards i found them on their knees and presently joined them while the good man was at his devotions the wind changed so suddenly and critically 
that the flames which had covered the house and began to enter the windows were carried to the other side of the court and the house received no damage two years after monsieur de bernet being dead the antoines his former brethren began to collect anecdotes which might serve as arguments of his beatification at the desire of father baudet i joined to these an attestation of what i have just related in doing which though i attested no more than the truth i certainly acted ill as it tended to make an indifferent occurrence pass for a miracle i had seen the bishop in prayer and had likewise seen the wind change during the prayer and even much to the purpose all this i could certify truly but that one of these facts was the cause of the other i ought not to have attested because it is what i could not possibly be assured of thus much i may say that as far as i can recollect what my ideas were at that time i was sincerely and in good earnest a catholic love of the marvellous is natural to the human heart my veneration for the virtuous prelate and secret pride in having perhaps contributed to the event in question all helped to seduce me and certainly if this miracle was the effect of ardent prayer i had a right to claim a share of the merits more than thirty years after when i published the lettre de la montagne monsieur freron i know not by what means discovered this attestation and made use of it in his paper i must confess the discovery was very critically timed and appeared very diverting even to me end of section seven recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section eight of confessions volumes three and four this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes three and four by jean jacques rousseau anonymously translated section eight i was destined to be the outcast of every condition for notwithstanding m gatier gave the most favourable account he possibly could of my studies they plainly saw the improvement i received bore no proportion to the pains taken to instruct me which was no encouragement to continue them the bishop and superior therefore were disheartened and i was sent back to madame de varens as a subject not even fit to make a priest of 
but as they allowed at the same time that i was a tolerably good lad and far from being vicious this account counterbalanced the former and determined her not to abandon me i carried back in triumph the dear music-book which had been so useful to me the air of alpheus and arethusa being almost all i had learned at the seminary my predilection for this art started the idea of making a musician of me a convenient opportunity offered once a week at least she had a concert at her house and the music-master from the cathedral who directed this little band came frequently to see her this was a parisian named monsieur le maitre a good composer very lively gay young well made of little understanding but upon the whole a good sort of man madame de varence made us acquainted i attached myself to him and he seemed not displeased with me a pension was talked of and agreed on in short i went home with him and passed the winter the more agreeably at his chambers as they were not above twenty paces distant from madame de varence where we frequently supped together it may easily be supposed that this situation ever gay and singing with the musicians and children of the choir was more pleasing to me than the seminary and fathers of st lazarus this life though free was regular here i learned to prize independence but never to abuse it for six whole months i never once went out except to see madame de varence or to church nor had i any inclination to it this interval is one of those in which i enjoyed the greatest satisfaction and which i have ever recollected with pleasure among the various situations i have been placed in some were marked with such an idea of virtuous satisfaction that the bare remembrance affects me as if they were yet present i vividly recollect the time the place the persons and even the temperature of the air while the lively idea of a certain local impression peculiar to those times transports me back again to the very spot for example all that was repeated at our meetings all that was sung in the choir everything that passed there the beautiful and noble habits of the canons the chasubles of the priests the mitres of the singers the persons of the musicians an old lame carpenter who played the counter-bass a little fair abbe who performed on the violin the ragged cassock which monsieur le maitre after taking off his sword used to put over his secular habit and the fine surplice with which he covered the rags of the former when he went to the choir 
the pride with which i held my little flute to my lips and seated myself in the orchestra to assist in a recitative which monsieur le maitre had composed on purpose for me the good dinner that afterwards awaited us and the good appetites we carried to it this concourse of objects strongly retraced in my memory has charmed me a hundred times as much or perhaps more than ever the reality had done i have always preserved an affection for a certain air of the conditor almesiderum because one sunday in advent i heard that hymn sung on the steps of the cathedral according to the custom of that place as i lay in bed before daybreak mademoiselle merceret madame de varence's chambermaid knew something of music i shall never forget a little piece that monsieur le maitre made me sing with her and which her mistress listened to with great satisfaction in a word every particular even down to the servant perrine whom the boys of the choir took such delight in teasing the remembrance of these times of happiness and innocence frequently returning to my mind both ravish and affect me i lived at annecy during a year without the least reproach giving universal satisfaction since my departure from turin i had been guilty of no folly committed none while under the eye of madame de varence she was my conductor and ever led me right my attachment for her became my only passion and what proves it was not a giddy one my heart and understanding were in unison it is true that a single sentiment absorbing all my faculties put me out of a capacity of learning even music but this was not my fault since to the strongest inclination i added the utmost assiduity i was attentive and thoughtful what could i do nothing was wanting towards my progress that depended on me meantime it only required a subject that might inspire me to occasion the commission of new follies that subject presented itself chance arranged it and as will be seen hereafter my inconsiderate head gave in to it one evening in the month of february when it was very cold being all sat round the fire we heard some one knock at the street door perrine took a light went down and opened it a young man entering came upstairs presented himself with an easy air and making monsieur le maitre a short but well-turned compliment announced himself as a french musician constrained by the state of his finances to take this liberty 
the heart of the good le maitre leapt at the name of a french musician for he passionately loved both his country and profession he therefore offered the young traveller his service and use of his apartment which he appeared to stand much in need of and which he accepted without much ceremony i observed him while he was chatting and warming himself before supper he was short and thick having some fault in his shape though without any particular deformity he had if i may so express myself an appearance of being hunchbacked with flat shoulders and i think he limped he wore a black coat rather worn than old which hung in tatters a very fine but dirty shirt frayed ruffles a pair of splatterdashes so large that he could have put both legs into either of them and to secure himself from the snow a little hat only fit to be carried under his arm with this whimsical equipage he had however something elegant in his manners and conversation his countenance was expressive and agreeable and he spoke with facility if not with modesty in short everything about him bore the mark of a young debauchee who did not crave assistance like a beggar but as a thoughtless madcap he told us his name was venture de villeneuve that he came from paris had lost his way and seeming to forget that he had announced himself for a musician added that he was going to grenoble to see a relation that was a member of parliament during supper we talked of music on which subject he spoke well he knew all the great virtuosi all the celebrated works all the actors actresses pretty women and powerful lords in short nothing was mentioned but what he seemed thoroughly acquainted with though no sooner was any topic started than by some drollery which set every one a-laughing he made them forget what had been said this was on a saturday the next day there was to be music at the cathedral monsieur le maitre asked if he would sing there very willingly what part would he choose the counter-tenor and immediately began speaking of other things before he went to church they offered him his part to peruse but he did not even look at it this gasconade surprised le maitre you'll see said he whispering to me that he does not know a single note i replied i am very much afraid of him i followed them into the church but was extremely uneasy and when they began my heart beat violently so much was i interested in his behalf i was presently out of pain 
he sung his two recitatives with all imaginable taste and judgment and what was yet more with a very agreeable voice i never enjoyed a more pleasing surprise after mass m venture received the highest compliments from the canons and musicians which he answered jokingly though with great grace m le maitre embraced him heartily i did the same he saw i was rejoiced at his success and appeared pleased at my satisfaction it will easily be surmised that after having been delighted with m bacle who had little to attract my admiration i should be infatuated with m venture who had education wit talents and a knowledge of the world and might be called an agreeable rake this was exactly what happened and would i believe have happened to any other young man in my place especially supposing him possessed of better judgment to distinguish merit and more propensity to be engaged by it for venture doubtless possessed a considerable share and one in particular very rare at his age namely that of never being in haste to display his talents it is true he boasted of many things he did not understand but of those he knew which were very numerous he said nothing patiently waiting some occasion to display them which he then did with ease though without forwardness and thus gave them more effect as there was ever some intermission between the proofs of his various abilities it was impossible to conjecture whether he had ever discovered all his talents playful giddy inexhaustible seducing in conversation ever smiling but never laughing and repeating the rudest things in the most elegant manner even the most modest women were astonished at what they endured from him it was in vain for them to determine to be angry they could not assume the appearance of it it was extraordinary that with so many agreeable talents in a country where they are so well understood and so much admired he so long remained only a musician my attachment to m venture more reasonable in its cause was also less extravagant in its effects though more lively and durable than that i had conceived for m bacle i loved to see him to hear him all his actions appeared charming everything he said was an oracle to me but the enchantment did not extend far enough to disable me from quitting him i spoke of him with transport to madame de varence le maitre likewise spoke in his praise and she consented we should bring him to her house 
this interview did not succeed he thought her affected she found him a libertine and alarmed that i had formed such an ill acquaintance not only forbade me bringing him there again but likewise painted so strongly the danger i ran with this young man that i became a little more circumspect in giving in to the attachment and very happily both for my manners and wits we were soon separated monsieur le maitre like most of his profession loved good wine at table he was moderate but when busy in his closet he must drink his maid was so well acquainted with this humour that no sooner had he prepared his paper to compose and taken his violoncello than the bottle and glass arrived and was replenished from time to time thus without being ever absolutely intoxicated he was usually in a state of elevation this was really unfortunate for he had a good heart and was so playful that madame de varence used to call him the kitten unhappily he loved his profession laboured much and drank proportionately which injured his health and at length soured his temper sometimes he was gloomy and easily offended though incapable of rudeness or giving offence to any one for never did he utter a harsh word even to the boys of the choir on the other hand he would not suffer another to offend him which was but just the misfortune was having little understanding he did not properly discriminate and was often angry without cause end of section eight recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section nine of confessions volumes three and four this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes three and four by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section nine the chapter of geneva where so many princes and bishops formerly thought it an honour to be seated though in exile it lost its ancient splendour retained without any diminution its pride to be admitted you must either be a gentleman or doctor of the sorbonne if there is a pardonable pride after that derived from personal merit it is doubtless that arising from birth though in general priests having laymen in their service treat them with sufficient haughtiness and thus the canons behaved to poor le maitre the chanter in particular who was called the abbe de vidonne 
in other respects a well-behaved man but too full of his nobility did not always show him the attention his talents merited monsieur le maitre could not bear these indignities patiently and this year during passion week they had a more serious dispute than ordinary at an institution dinner that the bishop gave the canons and to which monsieur le maitre was always invited the abbe failed in some formality adding at the same time some harsh words which the other could not digest he instantly formed the resolution to quit them the following night nor could any consideration make him give up his design though madame de varence whom he went to take leave of spared no pains to appease him he could not relinquish the pleasure of leaving his tyrants embarrassed for the easter feast at which time he knew they stood in greatest need of him he was most concerned about his music which he wished to take with him but this could not easily be accomplished as it filled a large case and was very heavy and could not be carried under the arm madame de varence did what i should have done in her situation and indeed what i should yet do after many useless efforts to retain him seeing he was resolved to depart whatever might be the event she formed the resolution to give him every possible assistance i must confess le maitre deserved it of her for he was if i may use the expression dedicated to her service in whatever appertained to either his art or knowledge and the readiness with which he obliged gave a double value to his complaisance thus she only paid back on an essential occasion the many favours he had been long conferring on her though i should observe she possessed a soul that to fulfil such duties had no occasion to be reminded of previous obligations accordingly she ordered me to follow le maitre de lyon and to continue with him as long as he might have occasion for my services she has since avowed that a desire of detaching me from venture had a great hand in this arrangement she consulted claude annet about the conveyance of the above-mentioned case he advised that instead of hiring a beast at annecy which would infallibly discover us it would be better at night to take it to some neighbouring village and there hire an ass to carry it to Cécelle, in which being in the french dominions we should have nothing to fear this plan was adopted we departed the same night at seven and madame de varence under pretence of paying my expenses increased the purse of poor le maitre by an addition that was very acceptable 
claude anet the gardener and myself carried the case to the first village then hired an ass and the same night reached Cécelle. i think i have already remarked that there are times in which i am so unlike myself that i might be taken for a man of a direct opposite disposition i shall now give an example of this monsieur redelet curate of Cécelle, was canon of st peter's consequently known to monsieur le maitre and one of the people from whom he should have taken most pains to conceal himself my advice on the contrary was to present ourselves to him and under some pretext entreat entertainment as if we visited him by consent of the chapter le maitre adopted the idea which seemed to give his revenge the appearance of satire and waggery in short we went boldly to Redelet, who received us very kindly le maitre told him he was going to bellet by desire of the bishop that he might superintend the music during the easter holidays and that he proposed returning that way in a few days to support this tale i told a hundred others so naturally that m redelet thought me a very agreeable youth and treated me with great friendship and civility we were well regaled and well lodged m redelet scarcely knew how to make enough of us and we parted the best friends in the world with a promise to stop longer on our return we found it difficult to refrain from laughter or wait till we were alone to give free vent to our mirth indeed even now the bare recollection of it forces a smile for never was waggery better or more fortunately maintained this would have made us merry during the remainder of our journey if monsieur le maitre who did not cease drinking had not been two or three times attacked with a complaint that he afterwards became very subject to and which resembled an epilepsy these fits threw me into the most fearful embarrassments from which i resolved to extricate myself with the first opportunity according to the information given to m redelet we passed our easter holidays at bellet and though not expected there were received by the music-master and welcomed by every one with great pleasure Monsieur le maitre was of considerable note in his profession and indeed merited that distinction the music-master of bellet who was fond of his own works endeavoured to obtain the approbation of so good a judge for besides being a connoisseur Monsieur le maitre was equitable neither a jealous ill-natured critic nor a servile flatterer 
he was so superior to the generality of country music-masters and they were so sensible of it that they treated him rather as their chief than a brother musician having passed four or five days very agreeably at Belay, we departed and continuing our journey without meeting with any accidents except those i have just spoken of arrived at lyon and were lodged at notre dame de pitié while we waited for the arrival of the before-mentioned case which by the assistance of another lie and the care of our good patron monsieur de Redelet, we had embarked on the rhone monsieur le maitre went to visit his acquaintance and among others father catou a cordelier who will be spoken of hereafter and the abbe d'orton count of lyon both of whom received him well but afterwards betrayed him as will be seen presently indeed his good fortune terminated with monsieur Redelet. two days after our arrival at lyon as we passed a little street not far from our inn le maitre was attacked by one of his fits but it was now so violent as to give me the utmost alarm i screamed with terror called for help and naming our inn entreated some one to bear him to it then while the people were assembled and busy round a man that had fallen senseless in the street he was abandoned by the only friend on whom he could have any reasonable dependence i seized the instant when no one heeded me turned the corner of the street and disappeared thanks to heaven i have made my third painful confession if many such remained i should certainly abandon the work i have undertaken of all the incidents i have yet related a few traces are remaining in the places where i have lived but what i have to relate in the following book is almost entirely unknown these are the greatest extravagances of my life and it is happy they had not worse conclusions my head if i may use the simile screwed up to the pitch of an instrument it did not naturally accord with had lost its diapason in time it returned to it again when i discontinued my follies or at least gave in to those more consonant to my disposition this epoch of my youth i am least able to recollect nothing having passed sufficiently interesting to influence my heart to make me clearly retrace the remembrance in so many successive changes it is difficult not to make some transpositions of time or place i write absolutely from memory without notes or materials to help my recollection 
some events are as fresh in my idea as if they had recently happened but there are certain chasms which i cannot fill up but by the aid of recital as confused as the remaining traces of those to which they refer it is possible therefore that i may have erred in trifles and perhaps shall again but in every matter of importance i can answer that the account is faithfully exact and with the same veracity the reader may depend i shall be careful to continue it my resolution was soon taken after quitting le maitre i set out immediately for annecy the cause and mystery of our departure had interested me for the security of our retreat this interest which entirely employed my thoughts for some days had banished every other idea but no sooner was i secure and in tranquillity than my predominant sentiment regained its place nothing flattered nothing tempted me i had no wish but to return to madame de varence the tenderness and truth of my attachment to her had rooted from my heart every imaginable project and all the follies of ambition i conceived no happiness but living near her nor could i take a step without feeling that the distance between us was increased i returned therefore as soon as possible with such speed and with my spirits in such a state of agitation that though i recall with pleasure all my other travels i have not the least recollection of this only remembering my leaving lyon and reaching annecy let any one judge whether this last event can have slipped my memory when informed that on my arrival i found madame de varence was not there having set out for paris i was never well informed of the motives of this journey i am certain she would have told me had i asked her but never was man less curious to learn the secrets of his friend my heart is ever so entirely filled with the present or with past pleasures which become a principal part of my enjoyment that there is not a chink or corner for curiosity to enter all that i conceive from what i heard of it is that in the revolution caused at turin by the abdication of the king of sardinia she feared being forgotten and was willing by favour of the intrigues of m d'aubonne to seek the same advantage in the court of france where she has often told me she should have preferred it as the multiplicity of business there prevents your conduct from being so closely inspected if this was her business it is astonishing that on her return she was not ill-received be that as it will 
she continued to enjoy her allowance without any interruption. Many people imagined she was charged with some secret commission, either by the bishop, who then had business at the court of France, where he himself was soon after obliged to go, or someone yet more powerful, who knew how to ensure her a gracious reception at her return. If this was the case, it is certain the ambassadress was not ill-chosen, since being young and handsome, she had all the necessary qualifications to succeed in a negotiation. End of section 9 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey Section 10 of Confessions, Volumes 3 and 4. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 3 and 4, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Anonymously translated. Section 10. Volume 4 let any one judge my surprise and grief at not finding her on my arrival i now felt regret at having abandoned monsieur le maitre and my uneasiness increased when i learned the misfortunes that had befallen him his box of music containing all his fortune that precious box preserved with so much care and fatigue had been seized on at lyon by means of comte d'artan who had received information from the chapter of our having absconded with it in vain did le maitre reclaim his property his means of existence the labour of his life his right to the music in question was at least subject to litigation but even that liberty was not allowed him the affair being instantly decided on the principle of superior strength thus poor le maitre lost the fruit of his talents the labour of his youth and principal dependence for the support of old age nothing was wanting to render the news i had received truly afflicting but i was at an age when even the greatest calamities are to be sustained accordingly i soon found consolation i expected shortly to hear news of madame de varens though i was ignorant of the address and she knew nothing of my return as to my desertion of le maitre all things considered i did not find it so very culpable i had been serviceable to him at his retreat it was not in my power to give him any further assistance had i remained with him in france it would not have cured his complaint i could not have saved his music and should only have doubled his expense 
in this point of view i then saw my conduct i see it otherwise now it frequently happens that a villainous action does not torment us at the instant we commit it but on recollection and sometimes even after a number of years have elapsed for the remembrance of crimes is not to be extinguished the only means i had to obtain news of madame de varence was to remain at annecy where should i seek her in paris or how bear the expense of such a journey sooner or later there was no place where i could be so certain to hear of her as that i was now at this consideration determined me to remain there though my conduct was very indifferent i did not go to the bishop who had already befriended me and might continue to do so my patroness was not present and i feared his reprimands on the subject of our flight neither did i go to the seminary m gras was no longer there in short i went to none of my acquaintances i should gladly have visited the intendant's lady but did not dare i did worse i sought out m venture whom notwithstanding my enthusiasm i had never thought of since my departure i found him quite gay in high spirits and the universal favourite of the ladies of annecy this success completed my infatuation i saw nothing but monsieur venture he almost made me forget even madame de varence that i might profit more at ease by his instructions and example i proposed to share his lodgings to which he readily consented it was at a shoemaker's a pleasant jovial fellow who in his country dialect called his wife nothing but trollop an appellation which she certainly merited venture took care to augment their differences though under an appearance of doing the direct contrary throwing out in a distant manner and provincial accents hints that produced the utmost effect and furnished such scenes as were sufficient to make any one die with laughter thus the mornings passed without our thinking of them at two or three o'clock we took some refreshment venture then went to his various engagements where he supped while i walked alone meditating on his great merit coveting and admiring his rare talents and cursing my own unlucky stars that did not call me to so happy a life how little did i then know of myself mine had been a thousand times more delightful had i not been such a fool or known better how to enjoy it 
madame de varens had taken no one with her but annet merceret the chambermaid whom i have before mentioned still remained in the house merceret was something older than myself not pretty but tolerably agreeable good-natured free from malice having no fault to my knowledge but being a little refractory with her mistress i often went to see her she was an old acquaintance who recalled to my remembrance one more beloved and this made her dear to me she had several friends and among others one mademoiselle giraud a genevese who for the punishment of my sins took it in her head to have an inclination for me always pressing merceret when she returned her visits to bring me with her as i liked merceret i felt no disinclination to accompany her besides i met there with some young people whose company pleased me for mademoiselle giraud who offered every kind of enticement nothing could increase the aversion i had for her when she drew near me with her dried black snout smeared with spanish snuff it was with the utmost difficulty that i could refrain from expressing my distaste but being pleased with her visitors i took patience among these were two girls who either to pay their court to mademoiselle giraud or myself paid me every possible attention i conceived this to be only friendship but have since thought it depended only on myself to have discovered something more though i did not even think of it at the time there was another reason for my stupidity semstresses chambermaids or milliners never tempted me i sighed for ladies every one has his peculiar taste this has ever been mine being in this particular of a different opinion from horace yet it is not vanity of riches or rank that attracts me it is a well-preserved complexion fine hands elegance of ornaments an air of delicacy and neatness throughout the whole person more in taste in the manner of expressing themselves a finer or better made gown a well-turned ankle small foot ribbons lace and well-dressed hair i even prefer those who have less natural beauty provided they are elegantly decorated i freely confess this preference is very ridiculous yet my heart gives in to it spite of my understanding well even this advantage presented itself and it only depended on my own resolution to have seized the opportunity 
how do i love from time to time to return to those moments of my youth which were so charmingly delightful so short so scarce and enjoyed at so cheap a rate how fondly do i wish to dwell on them even yet the remembrance of these scenes warms my heart with a chaste rapture which appears necessary to reanimate my drooping courage and enable me to sustain the weariness of my latter days the appearance of aurora seemed so delightful one morning that putting on my clothes i hastened into the country to see the rising of the sun i enjoyed that pleasure in its utmost extent it was one week after midsummer the earth was covered with verdure and flowers the nightingales whose soft warblings were almost concluded seemed to vie with each other and in concert with birds of various kinds to bid adieu to spring and hail the approach of a beautiful summer's day one of those lovely days that are no longer to be enjoyed at my age and which have never been seen on the melancholy soil i now inhabit i had rambled insensibly to a considerable distance from the town the heat augmented i was walking in the shade along a valley by the side of a brook i heard behind me the steps of horses and the voice of some females who though they seemed embarrassed did not laugh the less heartily on that account i turn round hear myself called by name and approaching find two young people of my acquaintance mademoiselle de g and mademoiselle gallet who not being very excellent horsewomen could not make their horses cross the rivulet mademoiselle de g was a young lady of berne very amiable who having been sent from that country for some youthful folly had imitated madame de varens at whose house i had sometimes seen her but not having like her a pension she had been fortunate in this attachment to mademoiselle gallet who had prevailed on her mother to engage her young friend as a companion till she could be otherwise provided for mademoiselle gallet was one year younger than her friend handsomer more delicate more ingenious and to complete all extremely well made they loved each other tenderly and the good disposition of both could not fail to render their union durable if some lover did not derange it they informed me they were going to thun an old castle belonging to madame gallet and implored my assistance to make their horses cross the stream not being able to compass it themselves i would have given each a cut or two with the whip 
but they feared I might be kicked, and themselves thrown. I therefore had recourse to another expedient. I took hold of Mademoiselle Gallet's horse, and led him through the brook, the water reaching half-way up my legs. The other followed without any difficulty. This done, I would have paid my compliments to the ladies, and walked off like a great booby as I was, but after whispering to each other, Mademoiselle de G said, No, no, you must not think to escape thus. You have got wet in our service, and we ought in conscience to take care and dry you if you please you must go with us you are now our prisoner my heart began to beat i looked at mademoiselle gallet yes yes said she laughing at my fearful look our prisoner of war come get up behind her we shall have a good account of you but mademoiselle continued i i have not the honour to be acquainted with your mother what will she say on my arrival her mother replied mademoiselle de g is not at dune we are alone we shall return at night and you shall come back with us the stroke of electricity has not a more instantaneous effect than these words produced on me leaping behind mademoiselle de g i trembled with joy and when it became necessary to clasp her in order to hold myself on my heart beat so violently that she perceived it and told me hers beat also from a fear of falling in my present posture I might naturally have considered this an invitation to satisfy myself of the truth of her assertion, yet I did not dare, and during the whole way my arm served as a girdle, a very close one I must confess, without being a moment displaced some women that may read this would be for giving me a box on the ear and truly i deserved it the gaiety of the journey and the chat of these girls so enlivened me that during the whole time we passed together we never ceased talking a moment they had set me so thoroughly at ease that my tongue spoke as fast as my eyes, though not exactly the same things. Some minutes, indeed, when I was left alone with either, the conversation became a little embarrassed, but neither of them was absent long enough to allow time for explaining the cause. End of section 10 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey Section 11 of Confessions, Volumes 3 and 4 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen 
confessions volumes three and four by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section eleven arrived at thun and myself well dried we breakfasted together after which it was necessary to settle the important business of preparing dinner the young ladies cooked kissing from time to time the farmer's children while the poor scullion looked on grumbling provisions had been sent for from town and there was everything necessary for a good dinner but unhappily they had forgotten wine this forgetfulness was by no means astonishing to girls who seldom drank any but i was sorry for the omission as i had reckoned on its help thinking it might add to my confidence they were sorry likewise and perhaps from the same motive though i have no reason to say this for their lively and charming gaiety was innocence itself besides there were two of them what could they expect from me they went everywhere about the neighbourhood to seek for wine but none could be procured so pure and sober are the peasants in those parts as they were expressing their concern i begged them not to give themselves any uneasiness on my account for while with them i had no occasion for wine to intoxicate me this was the only gallantry i ventured at during the whole of the day and i believe the sly rogues saw well enough that i said nothing but the truth we dined in the kitchen the two friends were seated on the benches one on each side the long table and their guest at the end between them on a three-legged stool what a dinner how charming the remembrance while we can enjoy at so small an expense such pure such true delights why should we be solicitous for others never did those petites soupes so celebrated in paris equal this i do not only say for real pleasure and gaiety but even for sensuality after dinner we were economical instead of drinking the coffee we had reserved at breakfast we kept it for an afternoon collation with cream and some cake they had brought with them to keep our appetites in play we went into the orchard meaning to finish our dessert with cherries i got into a tree throwing them down bunches from which they returned the stones through the branches one time mademoiselle gallet holding out her apron and drawing back her head stood so fair and i took such good aim that i dropped a bunch into her bosom on her laughing i said to myself why are not my lips cherries how gladly would i throw them there likewise 
thus the day passed with the greatest freedom yet with the utmost decency not a single equivocal word not one attempt at double meaning pleasantry yet this delicacy was not affected we only performed the parts our hearts dictated in short my modesty some will say my folly was such that the greatest familiarity that escaped me was once kissing the hand of mademoiselle gallet it is true the attending circumstances helped to stamp a value on this trifling favour we were alone i was embarrassed her eyes were fixed on the ground and my lips instead of uttering words were pressed on her hand which she drew gently back after the salute without any appearance of displeasure i know not what i should have said to her but her friend entered and at that moment i thought her ugly at length they bethought themselves that they must return to town before night even now we had but just time to reach it by daylight and we hastened our departure in the same order we came had i pleased myself i should certainly have reversed this order for the glance of mademoiselle gallet had reached my heart but i dared not mention it and the proposal could not reasonably come from her on the way we expressed our sorrow that the day was over but far from complaining of the shortness of its duration we were conscious of having prolonged it by every possible amusement i quitted them in nearly the same spot where i had taken them up with what regret did we part with what pleasure did we form projects to renew our meeting delightful hours which we passed innocently together yet were worth ages of familiarity the sweet remembrance of those days cost those amiable girls nothing the tender union which reigned among us equalled more lively pleasures with which it could not have existed we loved each other without shame or mystery and wished to continue our reciprocal affection there is a species of enjoyment connected with innocence of manners which is superior to any other because it has no interval for myself the remembrance of such a day touches me nearer delights me more and returns with greater rapture to my heart than any other pleasure i ever tasted i hardly knew what i wished with those charming girls i do not say that had the arrangement been in my power i should have divided my heart between them i certainly felt some degree of preference 
though i should have been happy to have had mademoiselle de g for a mistress i think by choice i should have liked her better as a confidante be that as it may i felt on leaving them as though i could not live without either who would have thought that i should never see them more and that here our ephemeral amours must end those who read this will not fail to laugh at my gallantries and remark that after very promising preliminaries my most forward adventures concluded by a kiss of the hand yet be not mistaken reader in your estimate of my enjoyments i have perhaps tasted more real pleasure in my amours which concluded by a kiss of the hand than you will ever have in yours which at least begin there venture who had gone to bed late the night before came in soon after me i did not now see him with my usual satisfaction and took care not to inform him how i had passed the day the ladies had spoken of him slightingly and appeared discontented at finding me in such bad hands this hurt him in my esteem besides whatever diverted my ideas from them was at this time disagreeable however he soon brought me back to him and myself by speaking of the situation of my affairs which was too critical to last for though i spent very little my slender finances were almost exhausted i was without resource no news of madame de varens not knowing what would become of me and feeling a cruel pang at heart to see the friend of mademoiselle gallet reduced to beggary i now learned from venture that he had spoken of me to the judge major and would take me next day to dine with him that he was a man who by means of his friends might render me essential service in other respects he was a desirable acquaintance being a man of wit and letters of agreeable conversation one who possessed talents and loved them in others after this discourse mingling the most serious concerns with the most trifling frivolity he showed me a pretty couplet which came from paris on an air in one of mouret's operas which was then playing monsieur simon the judge major was so pleased with this couplet that he determined to make another in answer to it on the same air he had desired venture to write one and he wished me to make a third that as he expressed it they might see couplets start up next day like incidents in a comic romance in the night not being able to sleep i composed a couplet as my first essay in poetry 
it was passable better or at least composed with more taste than it would have been the preceding night the subject being tenderness to which my heart was now entirely disposed in the morning i showed my performance to venture who being pleased with the couplet put it in his pocket without informing me whether he had made his we dined with monsieur simon who treated us very politely the conversation was agreeable indeed it could not be otherwise between two men of natural good sense improved by reading for me i acted my proper part which was to listen without attempting to join in the conversation neither of them mentioned the couplet nor do i know that it ever passed for mine Monsieur simon appeared satisfied with my behaviour indeed it was almost all he saw of me at this interview we had often met at madame de varens but he had never paid much attention to me it is from this dinner therefore that i date our acquaintance which though of no use in regard to the object i then had in view was afterwards productive of advantages which make me recollect it with pleasure i should be wrong not to give some account of this person since from his office of magistrate and the reputation of wit on which he piqued himself no idea could be formed of it the judge major simon certainly was not two feet high his legs spare straight and tolerably long would have added something to his stature had they been vertical but they stood in the direction of an open pair of compasses his body was not only short but thin being in every respect of most inconceivable smallness when naked he must have appeared like a grasshopper his head was of the common size to which appertained a well-formed face a noble look and tolerably fine eyes in short it appeared a borrowed head stuck on a miserable stump he might very well have dispensed with dress for his large wig alone covered him from head to foot he had two voices perfectly different which intermingled perpetually in his conversation forming at first a diverting but afterwards a very disagreeable contrast one grave and sonorous was if i may hazard the expression the voice of his head the other clear sharp and piercing the voice of his body when he paid particular attention and spoke leisurely so as to preserve his breath he could continue his deep tone but if he was the least animated or attempted a lively accent his voice sounded like the whistling of a key and it was with the utmost difficulty that he could return to the base. 
with the figure i have just described and which is by no means overcharged m simon was gallant ever entertaining the ladies with soft tales and carrying the decoration of his person even to foppery willing to make use of every advantage he during the morning gave audience in bed for when a handsome head was discovered on the pillow no one could have imagined what belonged to it this circumstance gave birth to scenes which i am certain are yet remembered by all annecy end of section 11 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section 12 of confessions volumes 3 and 4 this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes three and four by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section twelve one morning when he expected to give audience in bed or rather on the bed having on a handsome nightcap ornamented with rose-coloured ribbon a countryman arriving knocked at the door the maid happened to be out the judge therefore hearing the knock repeated cried come in and as he spoke rather loud it was in his shrill tone the man entered looked about endeavouring to discover whence the female voice proceeded and at length seeing a handsome headdress set off with ribbons was about to leave the room making the supposed lady a hundred apologies monsieur simon in a rage screamed the more and the countryman yet more confirmed in his opinion conceiving himself to be insulted began railing in his turn saying that apparently she was nothing better than a common street-walker and that the judge-major should be ashamed of setting such ill examples the enraged magistrate having no other weapon than the jordan under his bed was just going to throw it at the poor fellow's head as his servant returned this dwarf ill-used by nature as to his person was recompensed by possessing an understanding naturally agreeable and which he had been careful to cultivate though he was esteemed a good lawyer he did not like his profession delighting more in the finer parts of literature which he studied with success above all he possessed that superficial brilliancy the art of pleasing in conversation even with the ladies he knew by heart a number of little stories 
which he perfectly well knew how to make the most of relating with an air of secrecy and as an anecdote of yesterday what happened sixty years before he understood music and could sing agreeably in short for a magistrate he had many pleasing talents by flattering the ladies of annecy he became fashionable among them appearing continually in their train he even pretended to favours at which they were much amused a madame d'epigny used to say the greatest favour he could aspire to was to kiss a lady on her knees as he was well read and spoke fluently his conversation was both amusing and instructive when i afterwards took a taste for study i cultivated his acquaintance and found my account in it when at chambery i frequently went from thence to see him his praises increased my emulation to which he added some good advice respecting the prosecution of my studies which i found useful unhappily this weakly body contained a very feeling soul some years after he was chagrined by i know not what unlucky affair but it cost him his life this was really unfortunate for he was a good little man whom at a first acquaintance one laughed at but afterwards loved though our situations in life were very little connected with each other as i received some useful lessons from him i thought gratitude demanded that i should dedicate a few sentences to his memory as soon as i found myself at liberty i ran into the street where mademoiselle gallet lived flattering myself that i should see some one go in or out or at least open a window but i was mistaken not even a cat appeared the house remaining as close all the time as if it had been uninhabited the street was small and lonely any one loitering about was consequently more likely to be noticed from time to time people passed in and out of the neighbourhood i was much embarrassed thinking my person might be known and the cause that brought me there conjectured this idea tortured me for i have ever preferred the honour and happiness of those i love to my own pleasures at length weary of playing the spanish lover and having no guitar i determined to write to mademoiselle de g i should have preferred writing to her friend but did not dare take that liberty as it appeared more proper to begin with her to whom i owed the acquaintance and with whom i was most familiar 
having written my letter i took it to mademoiselle giraud as the young ladies had agreed at parting they having furnished me with this expedient mademoiselle giraud was a quilter and sometimes worked at madame gallet's which procured her free admission to the house i must confess i was not thoroughly satisfied with this messenger but was cautious of starting difficulties fearing that if i objected to her no other might be named and it was impossible to intimate that she had an inclination to me herself i even felt humiliated that she should think i could imagine her of the same sex as those young ladies in a word i accepted her agency rather than none and availed myself of it at all events at the very first word that giraud discovered me i must own this was not a difficult matter for if sending a letter to young girls had not spoken sufficiently plain my foolish embarrassed air would have betrayed me it will easily be supposed that the employment gave her little satisfaction she undertook it however and performed it faithfully the next morning i ran to her house and found an answer ready for me how did i hurry away that i might have an opportunity to read it and kiss it alone though this need not have been told but the plan adopted by mademoiselle giraud and in which i found more delicacy and moderation than i had expected should she had sense enough to conclude that her thirty-seven years hairs eyes daubed nose shrill voice and black skin stood no chance against two elegant young girls in all the height and bloom of beauty she resolved therefore neither to betray nor assist them choosing rather to lose me entirely than entertain me for them as merceret had not heard from her mistress for some time she thought of returning to fribourg and the persuasions of giraud determined her nay more she intimated it was proper some one should conduct her to her father's and proposed me as i happened to be agreeable to little merceret she approved the idea and the same day they mentioned it to me as a fixed point finding nothing displeasing in the manner they had disposed of me i consented thinking it could not be above a week's journey at most but giraud who had arranged the whole affair thought otherwise it was necessary to avow the state of my finances and the conclusion was that merceret should defray my expenses 
but to retrench on one hand what was expended on the other i advised that her little baggage should be sent on before and that we should proceed by easy journeys on foot i am sorry to have so many girls in love with me but as there is nothing to be very vain of in the success of these amours i think i may tell the truth without scruple merceret younger and less artful than giraud never made me so many advances but she imitated my manners my actions repeated my words and showed me all those little attentions i ought to have had for her being very timorous she took great care that we should both sleep in the same chamber a circumstance that usually produces some consequences between a lad of twenty and a girl of twenty-five for once however it went no further my simplicity being such that though merceret was by no means a disagreeable girl an idea of gallantry never entered my head and even if it had i was too great a novice to have profited by it i could not imagine how two young persons could bring themselves to sleep together thinking that such familiarity must require an age of preparation if poor merceret paid my expenses in hopes of any return she was terribly cheated for we arrived at fribourg exactly as we had quitted annecy i passed through geneva without visiting any one while going over the bridges i found myself so affected that i could scarcely proceed never could i see the walls of that city never could i enter it without feeling my heart sink from excess of tenderness at the same time that the image of liberty elevated my soul the ideas of equality union and gentleness of manners touched me even to tears and inspired me with a lively regret at having forfeited all these advantages what an error i was in but yet how natural i imagined i saw all this in my native country because i bore it in my heart it was necessary to pass through nyon could i do this without seeing my good father had i resolved on doing so i must afterwards have died with regret i left merceret at the inn and ventured to his house how wrong was i to fear him on seeing me his soul gave way to the parental tenderness with which it was filled what tears were mingled with our embraces he thought i was returned to him i related my history and informed him of my resolution 
he opposed it feebly mentioning the dangers to which i exposed myself and telling me the shortest follies were best but did not attempt to keep me by force in which particular i think he acted right but it is certain he did not do everything in his power to detain me even by fair means whether after the step i had taken he thought i ought not to return or was puzzled at my age to know what to do with me i have since found that he conceived a very unjust opinion of my travelling companion my stepmother a good woman a little coaxingly put on an appearance of wishing me to stay to supper i did not however comply but told them i proposed remaining longer with them on my return leaving as a deposit my little packet that had come by water and would have been an encumbrance had i taken it with me i continued my journey the next morning well satisfied that i had seen my father and had taken courage to do my duty we arrived without any accident at fribourg towards the conclusion of the journey the politeness of mademoiselle merceret rather diminished and after our arrival she treated me even with coldness her father who was not in the best circumstances did not show me much attention and i was obliged to lodge at an alehouse i went to see them the next morning and received an invitation to dine there which i accepted we separated without tears at night i returned to my paltry lodging and departed the second day after my arrival almost without knowing whither to go to this was a circumstance of my life in which providence offered me precisely what was necessary to make my days pass happily merceret was a good girl neither witty handsome nor ugly not very lively but tolerably rational except while under the influence of some little humours which usually evaporated in tears without any violent outbreak of temper she had a real inclination for me i might have married her without difficulty and followed her father's business my taste for music would have made me love her i should have settled at fribourg a small town not pretty but inhabited by very worthy people i should certainly have missed great pleasures but should have lived in peace to my last hour and i must know best what i should have gained by such a step end of section 12 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey